This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Good morning, everybody. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast, and we have an awesome guest with my friend, Jonathan Moss, Captain Jonathan Moss from the Captain's Log TV. He's going to be on today to talk about all things uh, Captain's Log, as well as lots of good advice for new fishing guides, managing expectations, and then we move on to talking about Mosquito Lagoon and what the Lagoon Waterman Alliance is doing and how they are helping to uh, make sure that our kids and grandchildren have the same type of fishing opportunities in the Mosquito Lagoon as we have had the opportunity to have. It's a beautiful place and, and uh, you know, we want to do everything that we can to protect it. And in saying that, moving on to our sponsor, if you want to make sure that you do everything you can to protect this podcast and keep me giving new information and having more guests like Jonathan on so we can learn how to protect our fisheries, you can support our title sponsor, which is Black Rifle Coffee. And the best way to do that is to go to the link in our bio on Instagram, and you can see um, a link where you can go to the coffee club. You can use the code BLASTOFF25, and you can get 25% off your first month in the coffee club. And you don't have to get just ground coffee or whole bean coffee. They have all different types types of things. Of course, they have a wide variety of those things. But they also have these ready-to-drinks, which are fantastic on the boat. If you're a Keurig person, you can get your coffee club subscription to include these rounds of Keurig coffee. Or you can get like a Yeti mug like this with Black Rifle Coffee on it. They have apparel. They have all kinds of things. So visit that link and go check out BlackRifleCoffee.com. As always, we want to thank them for their support of this podcast, and we want to thank you for supporting them. That is uh, the way that, that we keep this thing rolling. So we are on to Jonathan Moss now, Captain's Log TV. If you don't know that show, go check it out on Waypoint TV. And uh, here we go with Jonathan. I'm Captain Jonathan Moss from the Captain's Log TV, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Jonathan, how you doing, man? Good, buddy. How are you, Tom? I'm doing great. I'm glad to have you back on. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's always a, it's a privilege to be able to speak with you and to connect with you and your audience, so thank you for this opportunity and the invitation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jonathan, what we have started doing uh, right away on the podcast in order to get let other people get to know you a little bit better, and also I think it's kind of funny, uh, is the hot seat questions. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but it's a series of questions, you, you know, either or, you pick which one you like the best, 
uh, or or not, you know, whatever comes to mind first. So we'll okay. start out this one with the hot seat. Uh, of course, uh, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, Jonathan was on uh, a while back. He is the host of Captain's Log TV, great TV show, and an all-around awesome dude, Jonathan Moss. So uh, this will help you to get to know him a little bit better. So here we go. All right, Jonathan, East Coast or West Coast? Oh, East Coast. East Coast or West Coast of Florida? Oh, East Coast of Florida. <laughs> Spinning rod, conventional or fly? Spinning. Inshore or offshore? Inshore. River or lake? Ooh, lake. Would you have a reptile as a pet? No. Uh, no. <laughs> Me either. Uh, coffee, tea, or energy drink? Uh, Diet Coke with fresh squeezed lime or Coke Zero. Okay. Mountains or beaches? Both. <laughs> if I had uh, to pick one, I'm going to go to the mountains. Okay. Winter Olympics or Summer Olympics? Uh, summer Olympics. Okay, now this I'm going to go out on a limb. This was a leftover question from a previous guest, but I'm going to go out on a limb and, and, and assume that you have watched some professional wrestling in your time. Favorite wrestler of all time? Hulk Hogan. I mean, <laughs> come on. Hulkamania, baby. And he's, a, and he's a Floridian. And he is. He lives in Tampa. Yeah, you can go to Hogan's Hangout. Um, sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Best catch in your career? My wife. There you go, Jonathan. Good answer. Uh, A movie that makes you laugh? Uh, Dumb and Dumber. Yes. Text or calls? Uh, Phone calls. Last book you remember reading or your favorite book? Uh, The Bible, 100%. Rock, country, or other? Uh, Country, country rock. Rock depends on what I'm doing, man. If I'm working out, it's rock. If I'm in the car cruising, it's country. Okay. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram, I'd prefer neither. (laughs) I'm with you there. Uh, One thing you're afraid of? I'm not a big fan of heights. Office, Friends, or Parks and Rec? All three of those shows are my favorite, my wife's favorite. I would go with Seinfeld, uh, but it depends on the day. Right now we're watching Friends, but we have seen every single episode of all three of those. Okay, one piece of technology you rely on heavily? Oh, my cell phone. Favorite fish? Tailing redfish. That's that's probably it. Android or iPhone? iPhone, hundred percent. Audio paper or Kindle for books? Paper. paper. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Last one. Fishing with clients or fishing by yourself? I don't like fishing alone, so I'd rather fish with a friend. But I enjoy those moments with clients when it all comes together because we're we're doing that together as a tag team. Mm-hmm. I have to put them in front of the fish. They make the presentation. The fish eats it, and it just—it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Do you find that um, that you like that better at the these at this stage of your career than even doing that yourself? Yo, yeah. Like yeah. even with a buddy, like somebody else is pushing you along, and you you throw over there and you make it happen. Um, I don't know. There's various stages of your guide career, and there's some people that are fantastic fishermen. And they're not fantastic fishing guides because they don't really enjoy that like some other people do. It's a special breed, I think. Where are I, you? It's very rare. I go fishing maybe once every six months. Um, that's just my life right now. Um, I fish every day. I'm on the water every day, but it's completely different. Um, my job is to put people in front of fish and give them the opportunity to catch them. 
And I enjoyed that, uh, especially with little kids, um, especially with the fly angler that we really have to communicate together. Um, and then I get a lot of people who have zero fishing experience. So then that's a completely different ball game. Um, so it, it really depends. But when I'm and then when I fish, um, it's usually with a camera on behind me or beside me or in front of me. So there's pressure there. There's not it's not just, hey, we're going fishing for fun today. Now, when when the when we're filming and the fishing is incredible, like it's stupid good, then the pressure goes away and then we're laughing. We're having fun. So there's a little bit different there. But when I go fishing with a buddy, um, it's more laid back. I don't care what happens at that point. Mm -hmm. I just, everything kind of, the weight goes off the shoulders. You kind of breathe a little bit and you, you listen. There's, there's less stress. You, you take in the peace and the quiet. That was when I was a teacher, that was my escape getting away from the noise. And so when I go fishing for fun, that's probably the biggest part for me is the escape. Not so much the catch, but just the escape. Mm -hmm. What about, um, you have a lot of different kinds of clients, even just in that description. You, you talked about kids. You talked about people that never fished before. Uh, I'm sure you have some regular clients. What, what do you think is like the ultimate client for you at this stage of your career? Oh, the guy I had yesterday. Um, ah, this is kind of selfish, but he got it. He got on the boat and he said, today, there's no pressure. We're going to go fishing because I understand fishing. I understand that some days are amazing and some days just are terrible. And that's the reality of fishing. Um, we are dealing with, with nature, with, with fish who don't always cooperate. Uh, so having that going into it, regardless if you have fished your entire life or you just started yesterday, having that mindset of, hey, the fish are the bonus. Let's go have fun. Let's go catch fish. And whatever happens, happens. That's a huge plus. That takes a lot of pressure off of me. Um, and you get you get that more with seasoned anglers. Um, but when, when you get the, the newer anglers, their expectations are more of what they see on TV. You know, sometimes we film an episode in two hours. Sometimes we film an episode in 12 hours. <laughs> Either way, it's a 22-minute episode, and it all gets condensed. Um, so that can be a little bit managing expectations is a big part of that. Um, but my ideal client, oh, a guy yesterday, was fantastic. We had fun. We caught fish. We laughed. We told stories. We got to know each other. At the end of the day, we felt like we had been friends for years. And that's, that is always my goal uh, with my clients is I want them to walk away going, that was a great day, regardless of the amount of fish we catch. Uh, but obviously my goal, I haven't had a zero trip this year. I, I We rarely do. Uh, and I don't mean that boastfully, but um, as a guide, we try really hard to put people on fish. And uh, yesterday we caught, we caught a lot of fish. Um, we had to work for it for the first hour, um, but it, his, his mindset, his, 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 his thought was, I'm here to have fun. I'm here to have a good time. And I'm having a good time. Regardless, I'm casting a rod. I'm not at work today. And I'm having a great time. I love so, that. I love so that. So you attitude. would say that that attitude trumps like uh, the ability to, you know, cast accurately or have a lot of experience or something like that for you? You think? That oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And normally the guys that have that attitude have that experience yeah. and make the cast. Right. Um, and, and that makes it easier. Obviously that makes it easier. Yeah. Um, but I do get a lot of joy from seeing people catch their first fish and that happens a lot. Yeah. I get a lot of joy from seeing kids 
catch fish. What I don't get a lot of joy is when, when dads take their kids and then the dads complain <laughs> or the dads are annoyed about the fish they're catching or annoyed that their kid is catching more fish. Like, dude, just leave your kids at home or send them with me and we'll go separate. I'd rather have that moment. Right? But I, I have to have the conversation every once in a while with the dad and be like, yo, dude, chill out. I can't even believe somebody would be upset that their kid is catching more than them. That And this is what they'll do. They'll hook a fish and they'll turn to their kid and go, I got one. I got one. And like, bro, your kid's like nine, bro. Like, like I'm competitive, but your kid's nine. Let's, let's love <laughs> your kid. Let's give them the rod. Let's th- let them experience it a little bit. And then they're going to remember that. And then they're going to get better. And they're going to want to do this more with you. Like that's, that should be your end goal. Not to help fish your nine-year-old. Um, well, but, you know, that, that some, sometimes that you have to set the bar pretty low, um, you know, in order to, in order to have success for, for some people. But, um, yeah, I mean, that is the goal of taking a kid fishing is to to develop a a fishing partner for life and to have somebody that wants to go like even more than you. But I, I guess, you know, if, if people are just getting into fishing, like say, say someone, um, their, their child comes to them and says, you know, I saw this on TV. I want to do this. And they book a charter or whatever. I guess if you had no familiarity with the culture and, and no idea of what it's like to be on the, on the losing end of that, watching someone else catch fish after fish after fish, and you seem to be doing all the same things, but you're not getting any, which happened to me recently when we were filming a TV show. Uh, <laughs> it happens to everyone, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. you can seemingly be doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. Everybody's got the same baits. You drop into the bottom. You, your baits can't be more than 10 feet apart, but you're not getting bit and everyone else is. If you'd had no familiarity with that culture and that experience, I could see that maybe you think, oh, well, a little Raz, you know, might be okay. But, and, and it is if everybody's catching fish. But I see that when, when, when somebody gives somebody else, you know, trouble right at first. And if they don't, then catch a fish, then that builds and builds and builds. And then they start feeling the pressure of, you know, why am I not catching anything, which tends to lead to more not catching anything for some reason. I don't know why you're transmitting it through the line down to the fish and they feel it. I don't know what it is. It it, stranger things have happened, but, uh, you know, that's, (laughs) that's, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of funny, uh, for people that on our, on our honeymoon, I, my wife and I went to the Keys. We were in Isla Mirada. My wife had never been offshore fishing before. So instead of booking one of these big, more expensive, extravagant charters, I booked the Miss Isla Mirada right there out of Bud and Mary's. Yeah. Okay, it's like 100 bucks a person. And we, we were blessed. There was only like 13, 14 people in the boat, which is for a party boat, very small number. And there was an older couple. They probably were in their late 60s, early 70s. And the husband said, I'm going to fish this side and you're going to fish this side. That way we got both sides of the boat covered. And uh, we get to the spot and we start dropping and we're bottom fishing. And the wife, she is wrecking them, bro. I mean, she's (laughs) one after the other. Like she's so ecstatic and he can't catch a fish. He can't do a thing. So after a while, he starts 
Like you said, you just said it. It started building up, building up. He's like, that's it. We're switching sides. So they switch sides. And he made a huge scene. Like everybody in the boat was kind of turning like, what's going on over here? <laughs> you know, some uh, some drama while you're fishing. So they switch sides. And I, I promise you, I kid you not, her first drop on his side. Oh, I got one. I got one. He <laughs> threw the rod down. He threw a temper tantrum. It was amazing. Uh, we were laughing. Everybody was laughing. And you're right. When you have that... Mm, I tell you, the fish know, bro. The fish know. Something happens. I Something don't know what it is, but if know. you're loose and and feeling good, and you catch more fish, and I think that's one of the reasons why women almost always outfish men. Yep. Uh, on my boat, and and always has on, been on from when boat. I was a trout guide to all down in Florida. Everything, everything I've ever done. If you have two people on the boat, that one's a woman and one's a man. Typically, the woman catches more or bigger. And, yep. uh, and, and in trout fishing, it was a hundred percent because they listened better. They listened. Right. And, and the dude is like, well, you know, I've done this a couple of times before and I'm just going to wander off over here. And so you end up working with, with the, the lady and she listens to what you say. You say, well, let's, you know, this is where they are over here. It's I don't know what he's different. doing over there. And, uh, she catches eight or 10 and then he's like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, but they, they always listen, listen better. I, I liked what you were talking about, about managing expectations. And we've done a couple of podcasts on that before, but I'd like to know, like when, when somebody calls you for a trip, like how do you go about managing expectations? Everybody does it a little differently, but I'd like to know what, if you had a process or if you've had some success stories about that or the other way of someone coming with really, really unrealistic expectations like how, how do you deal with expectations well it all starts with the beginning conversations whether it's through email or phone call when someone emails me i like to talk to them on the phone i i'm old school i i get probably two or three emails a week hey we want to sign you up for a, a an online calendar and people don't even have to talk to you no I want to talk to the person because that gives me the opportunity to ask them questions. Hey, where are you from? What is your fishing background? Uh, are you fly? Are you spin? How do you use a push button? I want to know all of this stuff because going in, that sets me up for, for success depending on what direction I go. What boat ramp am I going to use? What spot am I going to use? And if, I, if a guy comes from the Midwest, and I don't mean this bad to the guys coming from Midwest, if you throw a fly and I ask you and you're from Idaho and, you, and I ask you, do you know how to double haul? More than likely, you're not going to know um, because you don't have to. You just, you're throwing fly at, at trout. You don't have to throwing very far. But when you tell me you do, I have some apprehensions. Same with guys telling me, oh, all they do is bass fish. Okay, well then tell me about your bass fishing. Are you skipping docks? Uh, because that translates to skipping mangroves. Um, do you use lures? Do you use bait? Are you strictly a bait fisherman? These are all the kind of questions I, I go through. Once I get those answers, that kind of determines where I'm going to go. Um, and determines what kind of fishing I'm going to do. Do I need to stop at the bait shop and buy a pack of frozen shrimp or live shrimp? Um, or do I, or can we get away with plastics? Um, but then, even with all of that, you don't know really until you get on the boat. And you start seeing them casting. You start seeing them because I'm primarily a plastics guy. I use artificials for the most part. Um, and you start seeing the way they fish. Then it's like, okay, they told me the truth. Let's go to this spot. Or, oh man, they kind of stretched the truth. Let's go here. Or I'm glad I started here. Um, but all, 
it all comes down to you as a guide, you have to have so many different spots, so many different areas where I know I can go here and I can catch, I can whack the, the, the trout and it's going to be one after the other. And that might be the expectation that this guy or the, the fishing that this guy needs. Uh, or I'd go, wow, this guy can really cast. I'm going to, the sun's coming up. It's getting a little higher. I'm going to get out real shallow. I'm going to get on the pulling platform and we're going to stalk these tailing redfish or we're going to look for uh, other fish out on the flat so we can sight fish. You know, you can ask a bunch of questions, but you don't really know until you get there. As far as managing expectations, um, I'm completely catch and release. Um, and I, I love fish. I love eating fish. Uh, I don't eat fish and I don't keep fish unless we're in the ocean. Um, it's very, very rare, especially in uh, my home waters, Mosquito Lagoon, Indian River Lagoon. I throw all this fish back, regardless if that's a personal trip or a, or a business trip. Um, but that's part of it as well. Um, hey, we're catch and release. Uh, okay. And I lose a lot of trips from that. And that's part of their expectation is, well, I, I want to keep fish. I'm going to fill up my freezer. Well, that's, that's not going to happen with me. Um, the other part is just telling people, Hey, listen, um, this isn't a show. Let's like, you have to have reality. Now, some days it's like a fishing show. It's every cast and I can take you to some of those spots, but in reality it's, it's fishing. Uh, and, and I tell people all the time, three jobs have to happen. I have to put you on the front of the fish. You have to cast the fish. Number three, the fish has to eat it. And if any of those three don't happen, we're not going to catch fish. If I don't do my job, you're not going to catch fish. If you don't do your job, we're not going to catch fish. And the fish doesn't eat it, well, we don't have any fish. So those three things have to happen. But these are all conversations that we have pre-trip, the morning of the trip, and then as soon as we get on the water and I start seeing how they how they can cast on the fish. So it's, it's, it's not just a simple answer. It's a lot of things have to happen yeah. to, to figure all that out. You know, that's a, it, it's really good when you are a fishing guide and you can key in on these things because there are, there are a lot of fishing guides that are getting booked online these days, or they're getting booked in a tourist def destination, you know, walking down Duval street or, or whatever. And the, the person just, they just call up, you got a trip tomorrow and you just show up. That to me seems really hard. Seems yeah. really, really hard because you're going to have to figure all that stuff out before lunch and put these people on some fish that they can catch. And maybe they don't even want that. Like the permit fishing is fantastic and you take them permit fishing and a great day of permit fishing is going to be catching two. And, and that's not what they want. They would have rather gone snapper fishing and caught yeah. 50. Right. Yeah. And they could have been eight inches. They wouldn't have cared. But though all of those things I found that, if you are someone who specializes in the conversation, in the pre-charter conversation of, well, tell me about your fishing, tell me about what you're doing, just like you said. And then also, well, what is it that you want out of this? Have you fished the Keys before? Have you fished your area before? Um, is there a certain fish that you're looking for? And then going deep into that, like, yeah, I want to catch a bonefish. Okay, yeah. well, we do catch bonefish, and we catch, you know, some days we can have some really good days. And, you know, like a really good day would be, you know, six, seven, maybe if you're an expert angler and the fishing is just lights out, you could catch, you know, a dozen I mean, that, that's really, really incredible. Most days going bone fishing with anglers that have never fished for them before, it's one or two, you know, and, and they, we can go for the really big ones or, you know, maybe we can catch some different ones. But, uh, you know, if we want to do that kind of fishing, you know, just to, just to kind of let you know that's kind of what, what, what it is. Like we, we, we might get a lot of opportunities, but we might only catch one or two. Is that, 
Is that what you're kind of looking for? And it took me so many years to get the confidence in myself to, to say, you know, I was always afraid at the beginning. I was like, man, if they think we're only going to catch one or two, then they probably won't want to go. Right. right. But that's not the case at all. They're like, no, no, I understand it's hard and I want to do that. So you've set that expectation up front. Up front. And then if you catch three, wow, you, you did an amazing, amazing day, which you which you could. Um, and, and you could also, you know, preface and say, hey, look, you know, the tide's only going to be really good for that style of fishing for maybe two or three hours of the day. I'm looking at the at the tide chart right now and it looks like that's going to be kind of a morning thing. And we can try that in the morning and then we can go fish for different fish in the afternoon or or the other the other way around. Um, and I found that when when we talked about those kind of things up front first of all it helped me to understand do i need to bring fly rods and spinning rods do i need to have bait do i need to have a, how am i going to have the boat set up perfectly so that i can deliver the kind of day that this person is asking for and you know other people would come and they're like well you know i've got a i've got a 12 year old kid and he's never been down here before so i'm thinking okay well, we need to bend the rod because there's nothing worse than a 12-year-old kid sitting on the cooler, bone fishing all day and not catching anything. Like that is not the recipe for that kid wanting to go again. So exactly. let's go out and go snapper fishing in the morning. We'll catch some jacks. Maybe, maybe you know, would he like to catch a shark? Oh, my gosh, if he caught a shark. Oh, you know, and you hear it in their voice. They're like, oh, man. So it's like bone fishing out the window. Your Nobody cares about the bone fish. Yep. This kid wants to catch a shark and we can catch 50 of them if he wants to. Like, and so you set yourself up to where it's like, OK, this is going to be an easy day for you and it's going to be an easy day for them. And everybody's going to be happy. And that all is proper communication, right? Like that. That all happens with proper communication. And, and that's why I asked that, because I, I just think that if you just showed up, you know, I mean, I don't know, with no information, I think that would be really, really hard. Yeah. I think it makes it easier and better for your own reputation, for, um, you know, getting repeat customers. If you spend a good amount of time in the beginning talking about what it is and you know what? Also being confident enough to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm really a fly guide and I'm not just super um, uh, desperate for trips here. And if you want to, you know, go out and catch as many fish as you possibly can and you also want to take those home and eat them, let me suggest my friend who does yeah. that. Yep. Right. He's going to take you yellowtailing. You're going to be able to catch the yellowtail, bring them home. Um, you can catch all kinds of other fish out there. And that's really more of the experience that I think that you're looking for and push them over to them. And, and if you do, then that person in turn is likely to do the same thing for the for the guy that calls him and says, I want to fly fish for bonefish or fly fish for redfish. And uh, and that's just a, a good way to go about it, I think. But that is the managing the expectations, I think, is is one of the things that you learn as a guide over time. But the sooner you learn it, the better off, the, the more it pays dividends in the end. And like you just said, having that network of guides where you can say, hey, I'm booked, right? That's not my style. Let me send it here. That goes a long way for the client too. They appreciate that because now they're not back to square one going, well, who do I, who do I go with? Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of guys, and I don't do this um, very often, um, but a lot of guys will, will have a kickback service. Hey, man, you sent me a trip. I'm going to send you 100 bucks, or I'm going to send you 50 bucks, or whatever. Um, I'd, rather, I'd rather do this. Hey, man, I sent, you, I sent you five trips last month. 
take me fishing. Let's go fishing. Let's go have a day off. Let's go have fun. Um, and so when you have that camaraderie, you know, and you have that networking, that group of guys, I have, I have a couple of guys that just do offshore. Um, that I have options. They have extra trips. Uh, it works. And then when people call them, they want to go inshore. They have someone they can call. They send back to me, you know, and then we take care of each other. Right. That's, well, that's, that's the thing about, part. about fishing guides and being in the, in the profession of taking people fishing is you, you can always use help from somebody else. Like, yeah information uh and the offshore guys have it too like even if you're just going red fishing and and you're asking somebody hey man did you catch pilchards at this location that that tells you that there's bait there did you see anybody else fishing out there did you see any other skiffs uh you could get all kinds of information from somebody that doesn't even do the type of fishing that you're doing plus then when you do have that bait fisherman you're like, hey man, can I swing by and get a get a uh, a scoop of pilchards out of your pen uh, that they always have pinned up? Oh sure, man, you sent me five trips last month. I'm happy to work with you to help you out. And yep. you always need somebody as as a fishing guide. I mean, both ways. Like the offshore guides can ask you, hey, have you been seeing any bait um, in this area where they could get in there and catch the bait? Like that's that's incredible information for for somebody. A lot of a lot of people don't like you know, the other style of fishing, like the inshore guys don't like the offshore guys, the offshore guys don't like the inshore guys or the fly fishermen don't like the spin fishermen. But I think it's, it's all amazing amount of information and oh, to, to just turn your back on that is crazy. Absolutely. No. And it's, it's good in any industry. It's good to have friends. It has good to have people you trust and always have, even if you don't, with the offshore guys, I'm inshore, they're offshore. I can say, hey, what are you doing? What's marketing? What marketing are you doing that's working for you? Maybe I can learn something from them. Or, hey, I've been using this. This tool really helps me. This might be something you can use. It doesn't matter. If you have a group of people that you trust, you can grow together. You can learn from each other. You can help each other. That goes a long, long way. What do you think is um, is the marketing that, that's working these days for fishing guides? For fishing guides, reviews are huge. Um, like my dad advisor? always, my dad always said this: publish or perish. So what I try to do is be as in many places I can. Uh, there are several spots. You have Yelp, you have TripAdvisor, you have Google. Uh, there are booking sites that you can become a, a member of uh, at little cost. There are guides associations that you can join. Um, there's social media stuff, uh, even being on YouTube and creating uh, fishing videos or fishing tip videos or, um, you know, something related to fishing. There's so many different avenues. Plus, um, you got to be a nice person on the water. I think that goes a long way. I think word of mouth is still a huge part of it because if you have that good day, then they can go on to those places and they can write those reviews. They can go back to their hotel and be like, hey. Uh, the guy I took yesterday, he asked me for a stack of cards. He said, I'm going to go back to my hotel and I'm going to tell them that we had just the most incredible day. And I'm going to, and they was staying at a very nice hotel. Um, he said, they will send you more clients. I guarantee it because uh, I'm here at this hotel and I'm telling them how great you are. Like having those relationships with, with concierge and different hotel people, that's a big part of it. Um, I don't know about the... I have a friend who uses those pamphlets in the hotels, mm -hmm. or and you, you've seen that. I mean, I was a, I mean, I was a kid. 
these fishing guys probably hated me when I was a kid because I would go and take as many of them as I could. I'd read through them and look at the pictures. Oh, yeah. I love them. I don't know if those still work, but you still see those at hotels. Um, in fact, they we sure worked before neighbor. the internet. Before I mean, the internet, yeah. Those things were I was talking great. to my neighbor um, yesterday, the day before, and he was saying that he was in Destin Beach, Florida, and he said they had him in his hotel, and he picked him up, and he was reading through them, and he brought me a couple. So I could see the kind of fishing they're doing there. So clearly they still work. Um, but there's so many avenues for fishing guides to market. Um, it's just kind of maybe being on all of them, published or perish. I, I also write for Coastal Angler Magazine. Um, I try to... I do as many podcasts as I can. I try to, uh, I have the show, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as many places as I possibly can so that when people are looking for fishing in Orlando, Florida, my name or my face or my company pops up. Um, that's a huge help for me. Uh, and then if I, if they get my name from their hotel, um, that's, Hey, I saw that guys, I saw, I Googled, I saw this guy's name and now I've seen you're, you're telling me, you know, that's, all the little pieces help. That used to be um, kind of the rule of thumb that that one of my friends told me is that somebody needs to see your name seven times. Like they could see it or hear it, but seven times is what what is the was the the, to get the lucky number, number for for, yeah. for to get them to actually take action or whatever. Like so, if they you know they 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 hear from somebody in their hometown, oh, I'm going to the Keys. Okay, well this guy's really good. And then they get down there and they're like, who would you suggest going with? And the hotel says, this guy's really good. Well, or, or just over the course of the year, they pick up a magazine, they see the name in there. Then somebody else mentions that name and they're like, oh, yeah, I read about that guy in, the, in a magazine. And then, you know, whatever. But seven times. That's a lot, it yeah. seems like. So in order to get seven, you know, any one person to, to hear your name seven times is, that's a lot. Be especially legit. before the Internet. Right. Like now with social media and everything, it's a big, big difference. I mean, a real big difference. What do you what do you think about how active are you on social media? What do you think about um, marketing through social media? I, I have not in my eight year career, I have not spent a dime. And that's not true. I spent one hundred dollars on Google Ads. Outside of that, that was like year two. And then someone was bragging. I got someone was bragging to someone else who told me they were on there clicking my ad until it disappeared. And that's when I was like, okay, I can't, I can't afford to just drop money. Um, so I don't spend a lot of money. I haven't spent any, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, the funny thing, uh, the funny thing is that guy told me I would never make it as a fishing guide. And here we are eight years later. Uh, and I'm, we're still rocking and rolling. That fueled my fire. Like, no one's been telling me I can't do something and dang it, I'm going to do it. And that's just the end of it. Um, so anyways, um, you asked me, what was your question? I got off I was track asking there. about like, what do you think the effectiveness of social media is for, oh, for yes. you personally? And, and you know, just the state of the industry right now. And social media is so saturated. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm really busy and post a lot on social media. Um, I get, a handful of trips a month from social media, but the bulk of my trips aren't from social media. Um, but it goes back to the seeing that person's name or hearing that person's name seven times. You go online and then you, you they go on, on, on Instagram and, and type in your, your name or type in your, your charter company. Then they see, oh, okay, this guy's actually been on the water. 
Um, this guy's legit. Oh, look what he's been catching this week. Oh, he posted yesterday. So that's the tool side of social media, but not so much of people are, social media has changed. People now just scroll, 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 scroll. And if it's not a captivating picture, they don't even read the post. They just look at the picture and go to the next one. So it doesn't even really matter what you what you write in the post. Very little uh, do, I, do I get people responding and saying, answering our question or saying, oh yeah, uh, here's my experience with that. The majority of it is they see it, they like it, they click it, they go to the next, the next they just scroll. Um, a big part though, and I'm trying to, where's my phone? This right here, answering the phone right now, I think is the best thing you can do. And answering the phone when it rings. Because if you don't answer your phone, they're going to go to the next guy. That's just how it is right now. What about Everything when you're on so, the water? I answer the phone. I, and how do you I, balance that with, with answering the phone and paying attention to the people that are paying you to be out there right now? Hey, this is Captain Jotham Moss. I really want to take you fishing. Thank you so much for your call. I'm on the water right now. Can I call you back at this time? Oh, you're fishing? Absolutely. Call me back. I have had it one time where the guy booked somebody else. The majority of the time, 99.9% of the time, they love the fact that you're fishing because that's what they want to do. That means you are legit. That means that you are on top of fish. That means when they go, you're going you're gonna to know where the fish are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I always apologize to my clients. I say, hey, I'm so sorry I took that call. I'm back on you. And I have never once had someone turn around and go, I can't believe you answered your phone. They always, 100% of the time, say, hey, man, we get it. You're fine. Do your thing. Um, so I've never had an issue with it. You know, um, it's, it's really funny because um, you're saying you get basically extra points for um, answering your phone right now on the charter. But before there were cell phones and before the Internet, um, which really, honestly, wasn't very long ago. It really wasn't. Right. I mean, my career right. spans to that point where I remember the first cell phone I got. It was a big brick phone, and uh, it, it was certainly not for someone to call me for a charter. It was an emergency tool, right? And yeah. If we had an emergency, I had a, I had a way to, to, to call. But we would go home, and there would be an answering machine with a cassette tape in it that would basically have a, either... If you were doing great, it would have a whole bunch of messages on there. Or if you were approaching tarpon season or something, there were certain times of the year where you got a lot of phone calls. And it would almost be like you didn't want to return the call immediately because you wanted them to think that you were on the water all the time, that you were fishing. You were so busy fishing that you couldn't get back to the... And a lot of times it was like that. But it's like, man, um, it's, it's so funny how that has just flipped. Because people were patient. They, they, were, were patient. they were way more patient, way yeah. more patient. Now, there's no reason to be patient because you're on some service and there's 18 phone numbers right there and you just go right down to the next one. Um, but that, that's certainly changed a tremendous amount. I have a good friend who's an insurance agent. Insurance, okay, boring stuff. His company has grown tenfold because he answers the phone and he is... He is professional about responding. And he says, he tells me all the time, people will respond and go, wow, you got back to me quick. My previous agent took three, four, five days, a week to get back to me. I'm going with you. I tell you, I hear it all the time from my clients. You answer the phone. I'm booking you. Oh, you're the first one. I reached out to five different people and you're the first one to respond to me. I'm booking with you. 
Nice. Because people want to check it off their list. Okay, I got to do all this for my vacation. As soon as I check, I can move on to the next one. So if you don't answer the phone, they go to the next person on the list. They, some people don't even care about what kind of fishing you do, your reviews, your boat. They just want to check it off the list. And so answering the phone has been huge for me. Mm-hmm. Now it you can be frustrating. My wife gets frustrated with it sometimes, <laughs> but for the most part, you know, it's been huge for me. Yeah, but that's that's where you're making your money. Like that's you you have to have the you have to have the bookings, and that is uh, that is a, a a fine line between family time and you know making yeah. the phone calls or or answering the phone. But you don't have to carve out thirty minutes to talk to somebody. You can say. Uh, hey, I really want to get back to you. Just like you said, I really yeah. want to get back to you and I, I'm going to be making a bunch of phone calls uh, tomorrow night. Can I give you a call then and we can go over as much of this as you want? Um, that's perfectly acceptable, I think, to, to most people. You mentioned um, when I ask East Coast or West Coast, you definitely like the East Coast of Florida and mm-hmm. that is Mosquito Lagoon. That is like your your home water. That's where, where you're fishing a ton. Mosquito Lagoon has had ups and downs. Um, my first experience in Mosquito Lagoon was our first redfish tournament ever, professional redfish tournament. And we happened to do really well there because the fishing was very similar to um, like what we do in, in uh, Flamingo and the Everglades. Like it, it was very, very similar. And I really liked Mosquito Lagoon, and it kind of broke my heart when Mosquito Lagoon was having some, some problems with their water quality, and the and the fishery was not as good as it once had been. And I just want you to kind of bring us up to speed about where Mosquito Lagoon is now, what your experience is there, and what you've seen over the years of of fishing there. Well, we had a huge loss of seagrass and it all was due to a brown algae our water turned to chocolate milk or cream coffee Uh, and as a result sunlight couldn't penetrate the bottom sunlight couldn't hit the grass feed the grass photosynthesis couldn't occur that was all based on nutrient loading we have uh, when we have a lot of rain we get a lot of runoff Uh, in addition we have a lot of sewage dumps into the river into our lagoon systems the the indian river lagoon system spans 156 miles from ponce inlet to the north all the way to jupiter inlet to the south that's a huge amount of water and along this wa- along that river there's tons of cities uh, that are growing exponentially okay and as a result uh, they can't handle the amount of people and sewage in their cities the infrastructure needs to grow. Titusville, that's where I spend the majority of my time. Outside of NASA, pre-NASA, okay, very few people knew about uh, Titusville. And if they did, it was because they were an angler and they had heard about the Mosquito Lagoon or the Indian River. Uh, The Indian River Lagoon makes up Mosquito Lagoon to the north, the Indian River, the whole river, and then the Banana River, which is just south of Mosquito Lagoon. When you got into Cocoa Beach, um, there would be a giant sign that said, welcome to the speckled sea trout capital of the world. Banana River was just known for lots and lots of huge numbers and huge speckled sea trout. All because we had just a beautiful amount of grass flats. When that brown algae took over, it killed our grass. Uh, and as a result, when you don't have grass, you don't have place for your bait to hide. You don't have a place for, for shrimp to grow and crabs to thrive. If you don't have food, you don't have fish. Now, I can't prove it, but I truly believe that a 
a large number, the bulk of our redfish population, they didn't die. I believe that they just started swimming north. And over the last 10 years, I continue to hear, even today, I'm hearing how amazing the redfish fishery is in Northeast Florida and how much better it's getting in Northeast Florida. And I, again, I can't prove it, but my theory is our fish swam up to the North Bend of Mosquito Lagoon, out the Pond Sunlet, up the Atlantic Ocean, and found home in St. Augustine, Ponte Verde, uh, 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 Jacksonville Beach, Amelia Island. They found everything they wanted there. Tide, water flow, food, grass, clean water. Um, so over the last few years, we've had a lot a decrease in our numbers of, of fish. Uh, additionally, we've had um, fish kills. The brown algae thrives off of the same oxygen that fish use to breathe in the water, okay? Uh, when, when it's hot, there's less of that oxygen in the water. And when it's hot, that brown algae thrives. But to live, it sucks all of the oxygen out of the water, and that's what causes our fish kills. Uh, the bioluminescence, it's beautiful. It's so, it's when, when it's summertime, when it's hot, I have my clients show up early and we push away from the dock and I, I put it in gear and they see that blue water. It's gorgeous. But that's also an algae that thrives off of the same oxygen that feed the fish. So it might be really pretty, but it's not good for our fish. And what happens every summer is we get these rains, we get the runoff, we get the nutrient loading, we get the sewage dumps into the river, that algae bloom happens, and then our grass just dies. Last summer, we had an incredible summer. Um, the clearest, cleanest water I've seen in years, years, crystal clear. It looked like the Keys sometimes, it was so clear. And then Hurricane Ian came. And Hurricane Ian caused such destruction in Southwest Florida. But what you don't hear about is the destruction it caused to our water in the lagoon system. And again, all of that grass just disappeared. I mean, it was night and day what it was a few years ago in terms of grass and grass growth. And all of that grass disappeared because all that nutrient loaded into the system, turned that water brown again, sunlight came in, I can't, couldn't hit the bottom, and all of it died. Uh, was it two years ago... Um, FWC put out an alert for manatees. Manatees were dying in our area like crazy. Every, every, every day I would see another dead manatee and we'd call it into FWC. And it wasn't because of boaters. It wasn't because guys were out there driving around and hitting them. It was because they were starving to death. And then when you get your winter lows or you get, if you have a dry summer, you're going to lose water depth, especially in the Indian River system. Uh, where I'm at, the northern end of the Indian River system, we have no water flow. We have no tide. There, it, water only goes up and down with rain and, and with evaporation and wind. Wind pushes water. So as a result, when it gets low, they can't even reach the, the bushes, the mangroves, the leaves on the mangroves. They, were, that, they do that all the time where they stick their face out of the water and eat the leaves. And as a result, these manatees were dying. And, you know, I tell you, it's really sad. I don't want to see anything die. I don't want to see a manatee die or, uh, or the fish have fish kills. I don't want to see that. But these groups don't listen to anglers. They don't listen to the guides. Which groups? But, it, any of the, any of their FWC, they struggle to listen to us until manatees die. And then when manatees die, the manatee groups, then they start going, hey, what's going on? 
because the people are so passionate about the manatees and and the anglers saying, guys, we've been saying this, we've been saying this for years. We have an issue. We have a nutrient loading issue. Now this summer, this summer we've had a very good amount of grass growth again. Uh, it's been beautiful. It's been great to see. We've had this last few weeks, we've had a lot of rain. In fact, the last six weeks, we've had a lot of rain. We had that algae has come back. Uh, and areas that were crystal clear are now murky again. Um, but as we get to our cold fronts, or start showing up, as we get into winter, cold weather helps kill that algae. And it's a double-edged sword. You, you, want, you want really cold weather because it kills the algae. But you don't want it too cold because then you're going to kill your fish. Right. Last year, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, it was 28 degrees uh, both mornings. Uh, at 8 a.m., it's 28 degrees in Orlando, Florida. That's cold for here. Um, and Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and the day after Christmas are three days I take off. Christmas Eve is a big family thing. Christmas Day, obviously, is a family thing. And the day after is my wife's birthday and my son's birthday. So those three days, off limits, I don't fish. December 27th, I was back on the water, and I had fished December 23rd and caught a bunch of snook. I went to the same spot on December 27th to check. There was dead snook everywhere. It mm. got too cold for them. So you, you it's, a, it's a fine line. You want it to be cold enough to kill the algae because that's going to propel you to having a cleaner summer to have good grass growth. And then you just pray that you don't have any hurricanes because then that, again— dump so much water and so much nutrient loading into the system that it kills, uh, it creates that brown algae, it helps that brown algae thrive. So we've had this, this strong, uh, just tug of war uh, with, the, with our systems and, and, and the local governments. And how do you stop? How do you stop local governments from dumping into the system? It, Tom, it comes down to having a lot of money. And uh, thankfully our governor, uh, signed a bill, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong. I think I think they pledged a hundred million dollars over four years to help our system uh, and to help with uh, um, new uh, piping and new infrastructure because that's what it's going to take. Is that uh, um, all the way up and down Florida, or is that particularly so uh, that's to your the, area? East, that's our area, the entire Indian River Lagoon system, okay. so the east central coast. So from again from from Ponsonet to uh, to Jupiter Inlet. That's the section that we're, it doesn't get a lot of media attention. Okay. It's not, it's not something people want to talk about. Even, even yesterday I had a call from a, a local who wants to go fishing and I told her it was catch and release and she asked me why. And so I told her about it I, and she's like, I live here and I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, it's just not something that's broadcast. And it's not something that, that a lot of guides want to talk about because they're afraid of losing clients. And I get it. But listen, I don't care about losing clients. I care about my kids going fishing. I care about my grandkids going fishing. And if we don't do something now, they're not going to have that opportunity. Um, so as, as a group of anglers and guides and scientists, uh, the Lagoon Waterman Alliance was formed. Uh, and we are... are backed by Cabins for Clean Water. And our focus, just like on the West Coast, you have the Tampa Bay Water Keepers. Um, in different parts of the region uh, of, of the state, you have region-specific water keeper management groups. Uh, and it's a group of stakeholders. It's a group of anglers and guides and scientists coming together and saying, we love this place, we love fishing, and we want our generation 
and our and the next generation and the generation after that to have the same opportunities to fish that our grandfathers had, that our grandparents had. So that's that's the whole for focus is how do we stop and minimize uh, the nutrient loading going into the lagoon system. We've had a great summer. We've had a lot of grass growth the last year. We did lose some from, from Ian. That hurt us. Um, so now as anglers, when we're on the water, we need to be mindful of that new grass growth. And we can't be complacent. We can't just say, oh, it's fixed. Because that's not true. It's not fixed. But we're working towards it. We're having, we're, we're taking the next steps to get there. The next part is just coming together as stakeholders and making our our voice loud and and going to these these meetings, these local uh, district meetings, and talking to commissioners, talking to FWC. Uh, I'm very thankful um, for the FWC closing redfish in our area. It needed to happen, not because we don't have redfish, but because our numbers are down and our redfish needed a break. So some people might not understand what that what that means, closing redfish. What tell, tell us what so, happened and when that happened and what that means. Yeah, so redfish uh, is, is the keep rate, is your ability to uh, catch a fish and be able to keep it. Redfish closure, uh, so you're not allowed to, you can still fish for redfish, but if you catch one, you have to release it. Um, you can't keep it. Um, there are other fish that you can catch and keep, black drum, speckled sea trout, um, snook if they're in season because there are different seasons. But redfish, there's no season right now uh, in the east central coast. Um, and there's a, a line from, I want to say it was, it's Ponce Inlet um, to Sebastian. Um, you can't keep any redfish uh, whatsoever, ocean side or the inshore intercoastal side, completely closed. Uh, and we needed that. We needed that closure. Um, honestly, I was pushing for uh, the closure of redfish and black, I'm sorry, of redfish trout and black drum. Uh, because my fear was if you take away your ability to keep redfish, that anglers are then going to focus heavily on your black drum and right. your trout. And all of our fish kind of need a break. And I know I sound hypocritical because I catch these fish for a living. Like I'm not giving them a break. Um but it's crucial that we allow we put our fish back so our fish stock numbers can can grow because we did lose so many fish from these fish kills, whether it being the cold weather or or being the algae that sucks up all that oxygen and kills our fish. So there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces, a lot of moving parts. How important do you think it is um, when you close a fishery down like that, especially with the redfish? Um, you know, a lot of the information that people, that scientists use, uh, I have learned, is because of either commercial or recreational bag limits. So someone comes in or they report that they've caught, you know, six redfish or two redfish or whatever, whatever there is, or they're at the at the fillet table and taking a survey. There it is. You that's what you caught. So that's that's easy. But when you're a catch and release fisherman, a lot of times, if there's someone at the boat ramp maybe you don't report that. Um, so you could be having incredible days where you're catching and seeing tons of fish. But in your opinion, like, like what I've learned is that um, we need that. We need some data in order to reopen the season or in order to allow the scientists to understand that, th that, that the fish are rebounding. Because when you have zero information, that's what went on with the Goliath grouper for so long. And I think it's quite a miracle that they opened the Goliath grouper at all because right. they had zero information other than 
someone just saw them or divers, you know, report that they're there. Or people are reporting that these big Goliath groupers are eating their catch. But that was interesting because that's not the season that they opened. They opened a, a season on fish that were two feet Small. long or whatever. Um, but in order to do that, they had to go off of kind of visual reports of seeing them because no one has been able to keep one for a long time. So I just wonder, like, are, are you participating in those surveys when you, when you hear, when, when someone's at the dock asking, you know, how, how many did you catch? Um, it, what, what is your opinion on that? Will, is that helpful? Should anglers participate in those surveys, not participate in them? I don't know. Like what your so opinion as, is. So to guide in the Mosquito Lagoon, you have to be permitted through U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Uh, it is a it's the Merritt Island Wildlife Refuge. It's a national wildlife refuge. As a guide to maintain my permit, I have to turn in uh, a quarterly uh, fish report um, numbers. What I'm catching, where I'm, the zone I'm in, what I'm catching, and I do that quarterly. Um, and they want to know they want to know everything. That's huge. That they're collecting data. Additionally, I get a once a month. I get a phone call from FWC, and they are asking the same question: How many people did you take? Where did you launch from? Uh, how long were you on the water? How long were you driving? How long were you fishing? What fish did you did you catch? What fish did, were you targeting? Um, and I the, I told one of the uh, callers recently. I said, Listen, my job is to put people on fish, so don't don't base your your statistics, your fish stock numbers on the number of fish we're catching simply because my job is to catch fish every single day. So when anglers, recreational anglers, have those opportunities to do the surveys, they're huge because they're not on the water every single day. My job is to stay on top of those fish so that we have high success rate. But the recreational angler might have a little bit different approach or different uh, uh result from that day because they're not on the fish every single day. So having those other results, other survey uh, answers helps balance out and gives a better, clear picture of what's going on. So yes, they're huge. I was really impressed with FWC's um, data collection. Uh, we went to, I went to, I've been to several meetings. Um, and one of the meetings we went to was a, a redfish focused meeting. And they were talking about uh, the different surveys that they did, the results. I was really impressed with it. Like they they went in and focused on it. But if they don't do it often enough, and this goes back to your Goliath Grouper point, if you don't do it often enough, you're going to be making decisions on research that's too old. So it's crucial that anglers are truthful to these surveys. They take the, the 30 seconds to fill out the survey to answer a couple questions because that really helps give a clear picture of what's going on in our lagoon systems and our estuaries. It's crucial. It really helps. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What, uh, you know, I guess we'll kind of bring this to a close a little bit for today anyway, and I'd love to have you on again. Um, but what, what solutions do you see as you're working with, with the, the Waterman group um, and captains for clean water and like, what do you see as somebody that's on the water all the time? What kind of solutions do you see for the future? Well, first off, we need 
more people, more stakeholders to have a voice. So the first thing that if you're listening to this and you want to, you're passionate about Mosquito Lagoon and the Indian River Lagoon system, the entirety of the Indian River Lagoon system, go to lagoonwaterman.org, sign up, become a member. It's free. We need you go to our social media pages, like our pages, follow our pages, because that's where we can communicate to you what's going on. If we need to be at a meeting, if we need to go to Tallahassee, if there's a, a crisis going on, or if there's a cleanup and we're going to get together and have a positive day and have a cleanup. Those, that's the best way that stakeholders can get involved immediately. On top of that, if you see a fish kill, report it to FWC. Take advantage of the, of the organizations that are trying to help. Use the resources that are there and report any kind of fish kill or any kind of bloom. That helps tremendously. So join us and be a part of that movement. That's that. Tom, I can't tell you. We had a meeting last night and in our meeting, we talked about if we, numbers are huge, okay? If you and I go to a meeting and two people show up, you, they might listen, but they might have one ear out the door, or one foot out the door, or whatever. But if 100 people show up to that meeting and they all are unified and they say, hey, listen, we care about this place and this is what we're seeing, that makes a huge difference. So biggest way anybody can help is to just pay attention to what you've seen out in the water, report it, and join our group, um, a group of passionate anglers, stakeholders who want to see a difference, want to see it get better for our future anglers. Yeah, that's awesome. So lagoonwaterman.com, that's the place you go to join. And Lagoonwaterman.org. Then, uh, Lu- yep. Oh, okay. You said, you said, I think you might have said com at the beginning. If oh, not, I'm sorry. Yes, my mistake. Lagoonwaterman.org. That's where yes. you go. And then you're reporting fish kills and, and blooms and stuff like that. Are you just using the FWC number? What, what, F- what? Yeah, FWC has a hotline. Forgive me, I don't have it memorized, um, but you can pull it up. You can Google FWC hotline uh, to report a fish kill. Okay. Awesome. Um, well, how many, uh, what, what's the uh, response as far as stakeholders in, in Lagoon Waterman at present? It's been great. We had, a, uh, we had our first public meeting um, a couple months, yeah, six weeks ago. Uh, they're in Titusville. And I, honestly, I was blown away about, about the, the number of people who showed up. People care. Um, the hard part with starting a nonprofit association alliance is we all, everyone on the board has a full-time job. So we meet every month uh, and we are constantly working towards uh, finding solutions. And we have several meetings throughout the month with other organizations, uh, the St. John's River Management with uh, the NEP, with um, the uh, Merritt Island uh, National Wildlife Refuge. There's so many things happening behind the scenes that we don't talk about to the public. Uh, so it makes it look like we're going really slow, but we are full steam ahead um, trying to make a difference with our water. So when you start these, I, did, I had no idea how much work and time and effort it takes to be successful with these nonprofits to yeah. make a difference. You know, I look at Caps for Clean Water, uh, or if you look at CCA, or you look at all these different organizations, are, they have a full-time staff devoted to doing this stuff and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of time um and we're scientists fishing guides anglers you know i don't know how washington works i don't know how tallahassee works (laughs) right so we have to lean on people 
who do know how those things work, who are passionate about the water and where we fish, joining on with us and giving us advice. And I've met a lot of incredible people and incredibly smart people over the last year and a half with the Lagoon Waterman Alliance and have learned a ton. And, and they always come back to me and say the same thing. Hey, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on on the political side, but when you can bring in people and you come together, that makes all the difference. Yeah. Um, so. I really think that um, one of the, I mean, Captains for Clean Water has done a, a remarkable job in a lot of ways. They, they built a full-time staff like you're talking about. Um, they also created um, kind of a, a, a look with their hats, um, that I think is very important. So if, if, if 250 people show up in Tallahassee and they're all wearing the same hat, I think that Unified. shows a unification of, of, yep. of that. But then I think one other thing that is very, very, two other things that I think have been incredibly important for the success of, of Captains for Clean Water and the, the, the ability to, um, to actually provide solutions is that they they looked outside of just fishing guides and just anglers, and they brought in realtors and restaurant owners and uh, people that that have um, you know anything to do with tourism whatsoever. Yeah. And even if you own you know a, a a hardware store, you have something to do with tourism. That people are coming to your town because of the water. And they recruited all of these people through positive information and positive um, kind of um, strategies, not just screaming and pointing the finger and, and yelling, which is what we all want to do when you see something that you love being uh, trampled on. And, and it's, it's obviously happening because of a certain thing that could be changed. You want to scream and yell, but it's not effective because the people right. that don't understand it are just like, man, those are crazy people. You know that like, well, I don't know what that is, but I don't even want to deal with it. Just drama. And I do believe that that that's one of the things that that Captains for Clean Water has done a really good job of is to remain positive, to spread good quality information and to recruit people other than just fishermen, because it, you know, if it's just fishermen, there, there's only so many of us. But when you recruit everyone else around that has anything to do with the water, everybody wants clean water. That has been very, very effective. I, I would urge, you know, in the in the beginning stages of where you are, to do the same. You know, to and I'm sure that you are. But I just feel like that has been, you know, incredibly important. And CCA and lots of other groups have have done the same thing. It's like it's not just about fishing it's about clean water and you know not having dead fish on the beach nobody wants to walk on a beach with red tide it it's horrible to breathe right so that's that's good well i wish you all the best with with that and uh mosquito lagoon has a has a, a warm place in my heart for sure uh it's just such a beautiful place and and when it is on the fishing there is just yeah. that's absolutely amazing so I really appreciate, you know, your your efforts in trying to take care of it as well as everybody else, all the stakeholders in, in Lagoon Waterman. 
and um yeah man just wish wish the best for it so we'll we'll get you back on here uh once the winter comes and it, and we do get some of this cold weather and see how that is affecting uh, the lagoon that was my experience with uh with with that first tournament that i was telling you about it was it was below freezing there was frost mm. on the boat and i remember that very well because we were trying to put logos onto the boat and it was like we had to use a heat gun to to warm up the boat so that with the logo would actually stick uh because it was the first tournament of this of our professional redfish career and you know you have to have a lot of stickers if you're going to be a professional fisherman uh, <laughs> that's the one thing that, that is true uh but we were trying to wrap the boats we were trying to do all these different things and and it was too cold and uh man that was the coldest coming from the keys that's the coldest i'd ever fished um you know, for, for redfish or any kind of saltwater fish, it was, it was a new experience, but it worked out well for us. And, and I just love that place ever since. Um, but anyway, Jonathan, tell us how we can, uh, watch your show, how, uh, people can follow you on social media, how people can support, you know, we've talked about lagoonwaterman.org, uh, but anything else, any other ways that you would want to, uh, connect with people? Yeah, I am, Always available uh, through our social media pages, uh, the Captain's Log TV on Instagram, Captain's Log TV on YouTube, and on uh, on Facebook. And then, of course, you can watch. We're on season five right now. It's incredible for me to even say that. Like, <laughs> it's been a long journey, and we're so blessed to be on season five. And uh, we're in the middle of season five right now, the Captain's Log. And of course, you can watch that on Waypoint TV. Which, if you don't know Waypoint and you're listening to Tom Roland podcast, you should know Waypoint. But downloadable on any device: Roku, Fire Stick, Apple TV, Smart TV, iPhone, Android. You name it, you can download, it. and it's free. Full of amazing fishing content like Saltwater Experience, The Captain's Log. Go in there and watch it in free um, and connect with us. Connect with us there. Connect with us on social media. All right. Jonathan, as always, it's great to talk to you. I wish you all the best. And uh, we'll have you on uh, as we get deeper into the winter. I'd love to know how, how Mosquito Lagoon's doing. So uh, great. I hope you get out there and, and get some fishing in today or tomorrow or whenever you're going out on the water next. And I hope that uh, you have fair winds and, and biting fish. Your All right, you. buddy. All right, we'll talk to you later. And we'll be back with another awesome guest just like Jonathan next week. So tune in for that. And uh, we're out. See ya. Brave anglers search for the one they call king. But who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.